Hey, what up, Chi Alpha? How are you guys doing tonight? Everybody knows it's Valentine's Day, right? So exciting. I broke out the pink, you know. Feels good. I bought this to match my golf shoes. You got me some Mike and Ike, so this is for me. I was really hoping that someone was going to bring me Mike and Ike tonight, and so I was so excited. Uh, do you want me to take them now? Because you continue to hold them up. But Okay, you just hold them, and we'll get them afterwards. Sim- yeah, sorry. <laughs> That was aggressive, yeah. That's okay. Hey, uh, what do you guys know about Valentine's Day? Okay, like, first of all, you're all here right now, so that says something about you the way you think about Valentine's Day. Way to go. You went to festival for Valentine's dinner. I love that for you, right? You spend a punch. That's way cheaper than some other options that you would have. This morning, Katie and I went to Heritage Bakery. Right? Got the little coffee cup. They, the good thing about Heritage Bakery is the coffee comes with one refill, which is like 10 out of 10 would recommend. Uh, and it's Broad Porch, which is just across the street. You know, we love local roasters. Uh, it is. Yeah. Yeah, Broad, broad Porch Coffee. Yeah, right there. Uh, so, Valentine's Day. Uh, in my family, uh, amongst my kids, like when they think about Valentine's Day, what they think about is... Chocolate, candy, all the prizes that they drug to school. We walked to school, so they were carrying all these big boxes this morning with all these different Valentine's gifts that they were going to hand out. And Esther was like, Esther is our kindergartner, and she's like, oh, Judah is so lucky. Judah's class is half the size of mine, so he didn't have to write as many Valentines as I did. Oh, and I'm like, Esther, this means you're going to bring back twice as many gifts. And she was like, I love my class! <laughs> she was so excited, right? And then, like this excitement over Valentine's Day is the way some of you in this room feel. Others of you in the room, when you think about Valentine's Day, you're like, Hallmark made that holiday up. Right? We needed a cash cow in the dead of winter, and so we made this up in order that people would buy cars, people would go out to dinner, and they would spend all this money that they don't have just so they could post it on Instagram so people would think that they was living the perfect relationship. When we saw y'all fight last night, okay? We heard you in the dorm room, okay? You ain't fooling us with your Instagram posts, okay? I know the two of you ain't liked each other for a long time. That's not how you guys talk? Like when I'm in the mirror pretending, I'm like really getting at it, okay? (laughs) And for some of you, like when you think of Valentine's Day, you're like, this is, no, Valentine's Day, I I spell it S-A-D, right? Singles Awareness Day, right there, you know what I mean? Like goodness gracious. (laughs) Either way. No matter what your feelings on Valentine's are, what I believe is that tonight we're going to jump out of our Kingdom Things series and we're going to have just one week on XAXO. You like that? It's really clever, right? We're going to talk about relationships tonight. Okay, if you uh, attend the church that I attend, I attend Harrisonburg First Assembly on Sunday morning. This past Sunday, I preached a message on singleness. I'm going to invite you to go back and watch that, listen to that if you would like. Uh, tonight, I'm only going to focus on relationships, okay? I want you to know I have preached both sides of the coin within the last three days. And so if you want a well-rounded take on, on marriage and relationships and singleness, you can go back and listen to that. If not, you can just listen to tonight. It's totally up to you. Uh, but just to, to get you back to where you like me again after the sad comment, uh, I have a picture of my wedding day. Look at that. Oh, 
yeah, so there we are. Uh, this is fantastic. Uh, this is my wife Katie and I. This is um, July 11th, 2009. Okay, so you guys were all like three or four, right? I was getting married. Okay, and so in the back row are all my groomsmen, right? Uh, when you have a Chi Alpha wedding, you end up with a lot of people, okay? So some of them were in my small group, some of them I was in their small group, some of them I discipled, some of them they discipled me, some of them were in houses I lived in in college, like, and then Katie is just full of the same thing. And so uh, here's, here's what I'll say about uh, weddings, if you're ever going to get married and you think about weddings. Like, when you get engaged, people are going to tell you there's all these rules about weddings, like things that you have to do how many bridesmaids you're allowed to have, how many groomsmen you had to have, and this is how you got to do this, this is how you got to do that. None of that's true. It's actually not true. I looked up the rules. You're allowed to make the rules up yourself. It's your wedding, okay? So if you want to have 14 groomsmen and bridesmaids, you are allowed to, okay? Because that's what we did, uh, and we looked pretty great. So there you go. Um, that's a time in our lives when we were getting a lot more sleep than we're getting right now. So, so anyways, when we think about relationships... <laughs> If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at uh, one of the pinnacle texts when it comes to understanding uh, relationships. In particular, what Paul will be talking about here today is marriage. Uh, and uh, if you have ever studied marriage in the biblical text, uh, Ephesians 5 is always a text that will come up. And, especially if you are a uh, lady in the room, Ephesians 5 may come with some sort of consternation, particularly, particularly about some of the words that are going to appear in the text. And so I'm excited to, to look at those and to talk about those tonight. Ephesians 5 is fascinating because in it is like one of the most, um, the most pointed times in which Paul lays out what would have been known in his time as uh, what, we, what we call now household codes. Okay, in the Roman world in which the, the Bible was written, in, well, the New Testament at least, right? There's this sense that there are a, a way that things ought to be. A way that things ought to be in the home, a way that things ought to be in, this, in their cities, a way that things ought to be. And household codes were the way in which society was supposed to function at home in order to be honorable. So in order for your home to have honor, in order for, for you to be an honorable family, you had to abide by the Roman household codes. Paul, now as a Roman citizen himself and one who is writing to much of the Roman world, though this is going uh, a little bit further east, uh, he is uh, kind of rewriting, updating, if you will, the household codes for the church so that she may understand how she should live in order for her to be honorable. Household codes are not things that we have right now, at least not things that we say out loud. Okay, right? Everybody comes, you have a certain family of origin, you have a, a certain uh, region of the country that you're from in which you uh, or the people around you believe certain ways about certain things and about what your home should look like and what relationships should look, should look like and what marriages should look like in order to be honorable. Right? We all get this information from some subject. Maybe it's from our parents. Maybe it's from tradition. Maybe it's from TikTok. Right? Like we understand relationships in the context of the society in which we live, and this is how we form our opinions. 
Sometimes we get this information uh, from YouTube. Sometimes we get this information from, uh, do you guys read magazines anymore? Is that a thing? Magazines sometimes, right? Like at least we see them on the way through the grocery store, right? You're like, uh, why am I even in line? They could just deliver this to my house. It's gonna cost me $10, but it's totally worth it because my time is money, okay, right? Um, you guys are like, that was just an old person reference that we do not relate to. Um, I'm sorry. I apologize. I take it back. Okay, we'll cut it out of the recording. No one will even know I ever said it. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah, but we don't save those. You know, it's just for people right now. Okay, it's not for them later. And so it's not real. Yeah, you don't have to worry about that. Okay. <laughs> and so, like, when we think about relationships, when we think about marriage, like, these are the things in which form our opinion. Tonight, what we're going to look at is what if we formed our opinion based on what the Bible said. Whoa. Right? Oh. Boom. All right, so you have your Bibles. You can turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Oh, i got to open my Bible. I, can't, I don't know what the verse is. Oh, it's because it's right here. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 21. Now, before we start there, in verse 21, we're going to start in verse 21. Uh, my Bible has a subheading, Instructions for Christian Households, right above verse 21. Some of you, as you've opened your Bible, I said, let's start reading in verse 21, and that is not where the subheading is in your Bible. The subheading comes after verse 21, before verse 22. Some of you are on your hands like, yes, absolutely. Uh, this has been uh, debated among scholars about what, uh, where it should start, and in in, in we're going to see why uh, as we continue our discussion. But maybe that's happening as you uh, look at this right now, and um, I'll tell you why I think it should start at, uh, right before verse 21. Actually, in the original text, there were no subheadings, right? Those are all added later. Uh, when the church at Ephesus would have received this letter from Paul, they just would have read the whole darn thing out loud, right? And their memories were significantly better than ours were, and they just would have begun to memorize it in order to know what was going on. So they would have always had the context for every verse, like no verse would have been taken out of context as they would have heard it within the whole as they heard it together as the community of God. But alas, let's read verse 21. You're like, quit talking about it and just read it. I'm trying, okay? I'm getting there. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So let's talk about this. Okay, just before this discussion, if you look above in verse 21, what's happening is Paul has begun a discussion about what life in the Spirit is like. This is what you do when you, when you are a person who has the Spirit in you. This is what you do when the Holy Spirit is active in your life. These are the things you do. These are the things you don't do. Okay, This is how you act. This is what it means to live life in the Spirit. And then he immediately makes this turn. He will then go into his instructions for Christian households. And he starts his discussion on marriage by saying, Submit to one another. Mm, right? And so what we're going to be talking about tonight is what I'm going to call mutual submission. And we're going to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We submit to one another as part of the family of God because there is no hierarchy when it comes to the life in the Spirit. Craig Keener, one of my favorite theologians, the author of Paul, Women, and Wives, if you're looking for a book to read, uh, 10 out of 10 would recommend. It's 
It's a big one, though, I will say. It, it is a little dense. Uh, he says, of course, authoritarian, authoritarian leadership on any basis conflicts with the teaching and example of Jesus throughout the Gospels. So those who advocate it today would do well to consider whether they grieve the Spirit of God. And when it comes to life in the Spirit, like right, like in the sense that, that as the Spirit is poured out on all flesh, as it's on sons and daughters, young and old, slave and free, male and female, as the Spirit is no respecter of persons, that now, as we live lives of the Spirit, that there is now no hierarchy amongst us. And that as we come into a relationship, uh, a romantic relationship with one another, an eventual potential marriage relationship with one another, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ because there is no hierarchy amongst God's people because the Spirit is with us all. And so as we submit to one another, and what does it mean for us to submit to one another? I am so glad you asked. Okay, because that's what Paul is going to do for the rest of these next few verses. He is now going to explain what it looks like to submit to one another. Now, when you hear the word submit, you're like, what does that word mean? What does the word submit mean? How do we define submit? That's a great question. In some of your context growing up, the word submit mean, meant to obey. And in order to submit to someone, you must obey every single thing that they did. Whatever they said you had to do, and that's the way it was, because you were told to submit. I would argue that, that maybe submission and obedience are not synonyms. But as we submit to one another, we give deference to one another. We give, towards one, we give leeway towards one another. And we learn how to serve one another. And this is maybe a better, more rounded out picture of what submission means. So let's continue reading and see what Paul will tell um, to the church. Verse 22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, not to other people's husbands, right? Um, yeah, right? Paul tells jokes too, right? You're like, yeah, thanks, Paul. Um, As you do unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit their husbands in everything. There you go. We can just go home. You're like, mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> like, we got our pens out. We was writing things down. We was with you. And then, no, you better explain something. Right? Okay, so there's a couple of words I want to talk about from our text here. The first one I want to talk about is the Greek word kephale, right? This is the word head as it's translated in your text, right? It says the husband is the head of the wife, right? It says Christ is the head of the church, right? Very good. You guys are totally tracking with me. And so the Greek word here is head. And when we say head, right, there are so many different ways in which we can interpret what that word means, right? That word means different things in different contexts. Okay, like head can mean authority. Like this, this person is the uh, head of this organization. Like she's in charge. Or head can mean source. That is the head of the river. That is where the river starts. Or head can mean like it is a head. Like it's, it's before. It was first. And head in context, can, can, like as we define what it means, it can mean different things as we just understand it in English. 
And it can mean the same thing as we understand it in the Greek text and what Paul is saying here. And to understand this text in its context is going to help us to see what Paul meant when he said this. Because in the very next paragraph, we're going to get to it in a moment, but Paul is immediately going to go, and any time that you talk about marriage, you should always reckon back to the beginning, right? The original marriage, the original romantic relationship, the original union in which Adam and Eve were there in the garden together. And he, he, he reckons back to this in the next paragraph, and as we think about what is he saying when he says that man is the head of woman, I can't help but believe that when I look at the text... When I read verse 21, where it says that we must submit to one another, Paul can't mean in this moment that this means that women must submit to men, in a sense that men shouldn't submit to women. But what Paul is, is, is bringing his listeners back to is the, the Genesis creation account, where first was Christ, and then was Adam, and then was Eve. And he's going back to the created order of things. This is the way in which it happened in the beginning. And when they were together in the garden, they were mutually submissive and they felt no shame. There was no fighting. There was no, there was no hierarchy. There was no battle of the sexes. As they lived in the garden together, they lived in peaceful union with each other. And as Paul is looking at the, at the context of marriage, this is what he's hoping for the church to have in their marriage relationships, that they would have this type of peaceful union together. Now what we know from the Genesis text is that this is not what happens, right? There's a serpent, there's sin, there's sin in the camp, and then all of a sudden Adam and Eve are thrown out of the garden, and then one of the curses that is put upon them is that they will now have the battle of the sexes. Uh, he says, the, the serpent, uh, or your husband will rule over you, and your desire will be for him, right, is what uh, Jesus tells Eve. Now, what, when we look at that, when we hear that your husband will rule over you, we have to read that as a part of the fall. And that our goals, our desires for our relationship should never be like what was a result of the fall. Right? Another part of the fall is that, that thorns and thistles and it will be hard to work. We don't want it to be hard to work. We should hope for a day in which we'll be in the garden again, in which things will be made right, in which all relationships will be perfect, right? So why would we hope for something in which there is a create like a hierarchy of things when the spirit says there is no hierarchy? We are here together and we are mutually submitted to one another. And this is what your romantic relationships can and should look like in the kingdom as we are mutually submitted to one another. So, let's continue. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. Ah, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect 
her husband. Here we see Paul as he now he has talked about wives. He then turns his conversation to husbands. He says, Husbands, you must love your wives as Christ loved the church. And Paul gives an example of the way in which Christ has loved the church. And he goes on to tell all these different ways in which Christ loved the church. These are the things that Christ did. These are the things Christ continues to do. This is how Christ is going to present his church. Like as we are the bride and he is the bridegroom. This is what Christ is doing. And Paul is, is giving the church a picture of what this can look like in their lives. And then he closes this portion of Scripture by then saying, Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. So now let's do a little bit more word study. Okay, let's talk about the words submit and love as they appear in our text. As you look at our text tonight, who is told to submit? Wives and husbands. Yes. Verse 21 says that you both must submit. Verse 22 says wives must submit. Who in our text is told to love? Husbands. Look at it again. Where does it say that wives should love their husbands? Does it say it in there? It doesn't. So does that mean that wives don't have to love their husbands? Exactly. <laughs> Obviously not, right? Like Paul's not trying to say that. We know this intuitively that Paul is saying in the way in which like we should understand this is the context in which Paul was writing this letter to. Everyone would have known that wives would love their husbands. Everyone would have known that husbands should have loved their wives. But Paul is rocking the boat a little bit changing the trajectory for women everywhere by then taking submission, which was only something that was done by women, and saying that actually mutual submission is the way in which we will live in the church. And this trajectory continues. I find it fascinating in this Genesis account where he's like, right? He's like, for this reason, like man is the one who sacrifices. He's the one who leaves his family and cleaves to his wife. That is bogus. Okay? Ancient Israel never did this. Okay? Like the text has told them from the beginning that men should leave their families and go to their wife. But actually what they did was they would go and they would grab a wife and they would bring her back to his home. Okay? And he would just stay with his family and she would be the one that would be uprooted. She would be the one that had to learn new culture and new ways of doing things. And like this is, this is how we do this. And it's, I find it as like a subtle jab at the church. Like, you guys, have, you guys have never done this! And now I'm telling you the way in which we will live is mutually submitted to one another. Okay, so now we've been theoretical. We've been a little theological, right? We learned some new words tonight. We applied some new words. We finally got it out of verse 22 and started talking about verse 21. Okay, and so we see like what mutual submission can mean. And so now let's talk practically about what mutual submission will look like first in your dating relationships, and then second in your potential marriage relationships. Okay, right? Some of you in this room, your uh, significant other is also in the room, right? And so that's really fun, okay? There will be different times where you're going to try not to look at one another, you know, other people don't see you look at one another, right? Some of the people in this room, like you are thinking uh, very hard about marrying the person that is like in the room also. And you're like, what could this look like? I'm so glad you asked, right? 
Some of you in this room, like you're turning red right now. Okay, others of you in the room. Shipley, come on, girl. Um, some of you in the room are single, and you're happy to be single. Again, I would tell you to check out Sunday's message. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that, that sometimes being single is better for the kingdom because um, there's just a lot less stuff that comes when you're single than when you have a significant other, right? Boom. Um, okay. So I want to talk about, like, maybe you are thinking about dating someone in the room. Maybe you're hoping that tonight would be the night, right? Then we would always remember our anniversary because we would always be on Valentine's Day, right? The, hey, look, pro tip, pro tip right here. Then you don't have to buy an anniversary gift and a Valentine's gift, right? You just like, you just, yes, you just, it's like kids that have their birthdays near Christmas. They're like, no, it's two different gifts. That's a lie. It's just one gift, okay? Right. We just spent a little more on this one. Sorry, that's just how it works. I'm sorry. You know, there's nothing I can do about it. That's just how it works, okay? Facts are facts, okay? So I'll think about it. That's why Katie and I got married on 7-Eleven, okay? It's free Slurpee Day every year for our anniversary. Now we don't we don't have to buy each other anything. We just take the kids. We go to 7-Eleven. We get every 7-Eleven in town, okay? In every surrounding town, and it's amazing, okay? I actually went to 7-Eleven five times a day. I got married. I went after breakfast. I went after bowling. I went before. After yeah, we went bowling. I bowled a 200 that day. It was. I had it, you know. All right, anyways, all right, let's talk about dating relationships. What does mutual submission look like? But before I do that, uh, I want to put the original slide up there with Hunter's phone number if you have questions about uh, now maybe our conversation has sparked some questions. Uh, I would be happy to answer them. Hunter's going to uh, work his way through them, categorize them, and then uh, ask me them at the end. And so I'm trying to save ample time for that, right, and the benediction. Okay, but now, uh, so there you go. Yeah, she's right there with me. The fist bump's been great. All right, so let's look at dating relationships. So I have the keys. Uh, this is this side, mutual submission and dating. Uh, one, choose. Two, discern. Three, serve. Wow, we have the, I did not do that. Someone else did. Amazing. Yeah, amazing. Amazing. Okay, so let's talk about what this looks like in a dating relationship. Choose. Let's get this out of the way early. There is no one person for you out there. You do not have a soulmate. Okay? This is not Disney. Okay? That's not how this works. Okay? Look, here's the thing. It would be bad for you to believe in a soulmate. And here's why. One, your soulmate may live on the opposite side of the world of you and you may never actually find them. Two, you, you may have been supposed to get better grades or worse grades in, in high school so that you can go to the same college as your soulmate, okay? And now all of a sudden they're at a different university and you are not going to find them. Three, you might find your soulmate and they may not like you. Do you know what I mean? Like you can find the one, the pinnacle of it all, and they're going to look right back at you and be like, not today. Right? Text your questions in. When you believe in a soulmate, what this leads to is constantly looking over your shoulder, constantly looking through your Instagram, constantly finding your old friends on Facebook, right, to see is there someone better for me? Is, is the grass greener someone somewhere else? 
someone else, no. right? Could be. Do I think that Katie is the best match for me in the world? Absolutely not. Aww. That would make literal, that, this doesn't make sense. The math is not that way. Right? So choose. Okay, when you go into a dating relationship, I want you to have your eyes wide open. Okay? Like, figure everything out about the person to which you are entering into a relationship with. Is this someone I want to be with? Because then you get to discern. And what I want you to do as you're going through a, a dating relationship, as you are mutually submissive to one another, what you're going to do is discern, is this the right relationship for me? Are we working towards marriage? Okay, if you're not working towards marriage, I'm not sure why you're dating. Okay? Like, when I think about myself in high school, like, I, in, in college, right, I was a, what we call a serial dater. Okay? Like, okay, you have met people like this. They, like, can't stand not being in a relationship. It's like, they go out of one and into another, and you're like, oh my gosh, they're going to tear the entire fellowship apart if they don't stop doing that. Right? That was me, okay? Like, I felt like in order to, like, show my worth, in order to, like, find out who I was, in order to just, like, be an important person, like, I had to be in a relationship. It was stupid, okay? By no means was I ready to be in any type of relationship. And so there was no reason for me to be in a relationship because I had not done the hard work on myself to prepare myself to work towards marriage. When Katie and I started dating, we looked at one another, we said, look... If you ever feel like in our relationship, like we are not headed towards marriage, just pull the plug. Let's just get out right then and there. That way, all the cards are on the table. This is what we're working towards. And then you would be doing your significant other a, a disservice to continue in a relationship that you know is going nowhere. Because you're hoping that they will change. Have your eyes wide open. Choose and discern. Whew. So what are some ways in which you can discern if you want to spend the rest of your life with this person? Here, go do fun things together. Okay? Like do stupid things. Like borderline illegal things at times. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I have some stories to tell you off the record. Uh, I would encourage you to go on dates. And I would also encourage you this, go on group dates. Get to know how they act around other people. Do your friends like them? Don't isolate yourselves because this will make discernment even harder because you will have pulled yourself out of the community that loves you so dearly. Here's a question to ask. Is this relationship causing you to move closer to Jesus or further from him? Does this relationship encourage you to abide with Jesus, or does it encourage you to do things that you know that you are not supposed to? Discernment is a spiritual gift. Use it and ask for it. So what are the ways in which you can serve in a mutually submissive relationship? That's great. The best way to know if you will serve one another in marriage is by serving one another in your dating relationship. 
Do things that the other person is interested in doing. This is one way to serve them. Learn something about their field of study. You're like, wow, I never wanted to know that about your capstone. <laughs> but I'm committed to you, and so I will learn that about that. Uh, and you will have to teach me how to say those words. Uh, block off intentional time that does not include cell phones in which you could just sit and learn and talk with one another. Go on walks. Have a date coffee or a date night. As I mentioned, Katie and I went on ours this morning. Um, walk towards Christ. And as you walk towards Christ, walk towards one another. Serve one another with gladness. Pick them up and drive them to class. Um, do you know what I mean? Like, like there are ways in which we know that we can serve, and, and serving in a dating relationship will lead towards serving in a marriage, which is the basis of a mutually submissive relationship. So let's look about let's talk about marriage briefly. Okay, what are the three points for uh, how you can be mutually submissive in a marriage relationship? Serve, serve, serve. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Here's the thing. Once you become married. Okay, you heard what I just said about the one, right? We don't believe in a soulmate. We don't believe there's one for you. Once you become married, you now have a one. Okay, now, th now this is the one. Katie and I both believe that we both could have done better. But now, we believe we both got the best deal. When it comes to serving one another, we have become each other's biggest fans. We root for one another. We cheer for one another. We're like, I got the best deal of the lifetime! because she likes me back. Yeah. Also, as you are setting standards for who you will date, let me encourage you to put likes me back high on the list, okay? Some of y'all keep chasing people that don't check off the likes me back box and it just doesn't make sense to me, okay? Like that, like that covers a multitude of sins, you know what I mean? Like they like me back, let's go. We call this fostering high regard for one another. And so we, we serve one another. We love one another. And now, instead of having our eyes wide open about everything and learning everything in order to make an informed decision, we've already made the decision, and so now we squint a little bit. Okay? Things that would bother us on the edges of character, like, okay, my wife and I, this is a constant battle in our home. Okay? Um, and I'll just make it the most trivial one possible. It's toothpaste. Okay? Right? Okay, because I believe that the cap should always go back on the toothpaste and it should be turned all the way. Okay? Okay? So my wife doesn't believe that. Okay? If it's like a snap cap, okay? She just believes you should just like mostly get it there. Okay? Okay? Okay, wait. No, wait. It gets, it gets better. And now, another thing that I believe is that you should never have to squeeze from the bottom of the toothpaste. Okay, I just squeeze from the middle. Okay, I don't have time to go to the bottom. I don't want to go to the bottom. Okay, I don't do anything at the end, right? Okay, and that drives my wife crazy. She's a squeeze from the bottom kind of girl. She's like, what is wrong with you? Okay, now look, here's the easy solution to this problem. You buy two toothpaste. Okay, right? It's $2.50, you're, you're going to spend it anyway. You just buy two toothpaste. It's not a big deal. I don't try to change this about her. I chuckle every time I open the drawer, and there it is. I'm like, ha-ha. Okay? But man, do I love her. Right? 
And so my eyes will just close just a little bit. Like that doesn't that doesn't really matter. Okay, and then as we like go through our lives, we continue to serve one another. Okay, let me, isn't it sad I have to go look at the ways in which I love my wife? Um, okay, here's another one. This is a big one. Don't be a scorekeeper. All right? You see, you all, I didn't have to explain what that meant, right? You've all, like, your notes are already written. Like, okay, now here's the thing. You, this, this is actually just a good life rule. Don't be a good scorekeeper. Okay, as you're, like, in a, in a, in a house, in a Kyle house, don't scorekeep who does the dishes. Okay? Because you only ever remember when you did the dishes. Nobody ever remembers when the other person did the dishes. That's not a thing. You don't keep track of it. You don't write it down. Nobody even ever thinks about it. All you ever remember is when I had to take the trash out. And I had to do it twice in a row. And you don't know if somebody even did it in between. But you're like, I know. And then you just like start marking the trash can. That's weird. Don't mark the trash cans. Okay? Stop doing that. Okay? Don't score keep. Don't score keep in your marriage relationship. It's just not worth it. Serve one another and continue to serve one another. And let me say this. Uh, you always find more of what you're looking for. And so if you choose to focus on the positive of your spouse, on the things that they do well, and the things that you love about them, you will continue to see those things. But if you focus on the negatives, you will continue to see those things. How many of you, when you got your first car, right, you were so excited, you're like, oh my gosh, nobody has ever had this car before, I'm the first one ever, and then you started driving it, you're like, oh my gosh, everyone has this car, right, because then you start noticing it, right, it's like all of a sudden it's there, it's like it was there the whole time, in the same way, the positive things about your partner, this is why you chose them, this is why you discern that, the positive things are there, and so focus on those. Philippians says that whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is trustworthy, whatever is praiseworthy, think about such things. And as you do that, may you find what you've been looking for, and may that allow you to serve and to be served in a potential marriage relationship. Boom. Roasted. Done. Yeah, I just paid for it, so I don't want to drop it. Yeah. So, so I'm ready for questions. Do you want to say them into the microphone or?